Hello, and welcome to Expected Value, the podcast that goes inside the sports analytics world. I'm Paul Carr from True Media. It's episode 50 of the show. Nice round number. As a celebration of sorts, our guest this week is Sarah Rudd, one of the leader in the soccer analytics space over the last decade plus. You might not know her name because a lot of her work has been done for Arsenal in that time, but as far back as 2011, as we'll talk about, she was already modeling pass value, other similar things that are now far more commonplace in soccer analytics. She's also half of maybe the first family of soccer analytics. Her husband is Ravi Ramaneni, former director of analytics with the Seattle Sounders. He was on the show a couple years ago, so this is the first wife and husband combo we've had on Expected Value. In this conversation, Sarah and I will talk about her academic background and early professional path before transitioning into soccer, the 2011 presentation that put her on the soccer analytics map, what she did at StatDNA, the company that was bought by Arsenal and used as their in-house analytics group, how the use and acceptance of analytics changed during her decade with Arsenal, bridging that stereotypical gap between scouting and analytics, working on the private side of soccer data, advantages and disadvantages of a club doing everything in-house, her new company Blue Crow Sports Group and what they're up to, how she and her husband Ravi watch games, and what she has done to track her excitement level during World Cup matches. Then producer Sergio De La Esperia will join me to react and wrap things up. Without further ado, here's the Expected Value Conversation with Sarah Rudd. We're joined now on Expected Value by Sarah Rudd, Vice President of Blue Crow Sports Group. Sarah, welcome to the show. Since you've been a part of kind of the modern soccer analytics world um, over the last decade, decade and a half, I want to trace your career kind of as a way of following the whole analytics space. So let me start back kind of at the beginning of your for you professionally, what was your academic early professional path before you even got into sports? Yeah, I mean, when I was a, a student and trying to figure out what I wanted to study, um, a career in sports and particularly sports analytics just wasn't an option. Um, but I always loved math and science. So I ended up doing a double major um, in environmental science and computer science. And computer science was just something I kind of stumbled into. It was a you know, intro to CS was a required class for the engineering program, and I just loved it. Um, so decided to to switch over to that. Um, and you know, from there, after after college, I just you know I wanted to be a, a developer. So I did, you know, I worked at a couple uh, startups in New York City after I graduated, um, and then ended up at Microsoft, um, which is a company I never really thought I would I would be at, but. Um, you know, that was just kind of a wild experience for me because you work with, you know, so many brilliant people and I was working on the Bing search engine. So, you know, that's actual big data where you're talking about, you know, petabytes of data that you're searching over and, um, you know, working on that. And, uh, you know, the whole time kind of in the back of my head was I really want to work in, in soccer. I want to work in sports, um, but particularly soccer, but I never really knew how my skill set would kind of line up with that. Um, because again, you know, there wasn't really much going on in, in terms of soccer analytics. So I thought, okay, maybe I'll do an MBA and figure out how I can use my kind of skills with technology, but maybe more on the business side. And, uh, you know, fortunately Moneyball had come out at that point and then, you know, get introduced to a couple of people and they start saying like, Hey, you know, do you think we could do this? Like, is there, is there anything here? And then, you know, as I dug a little bit deeper, I learned about companies like Opta and Prozone that were just 
kind of getting started around this time. This was probably about 15 years ago now. Oof. Um, and, you know, I started saying like, okay, yeah, like maybe, maybe this is the direction that I want to go in. So, you know, while I was doing my MBA, uh, just started, you know, blogging and playing around with whatever data I could get my hands on. Um, but still really wasn't sure like I could make a career of it, but I gave myself basically about a year after I, I got my MBA to figure something out. And fortunately at that time, um, that's when I kind of got connected to StatDNA. Um, they had a research competition, which I won. Um, and then, you know, talking with the CEO, Jason Rosenfeld, he said, hey, you know, we need somebody to come in and kind of manage, you know, both the development on the software side, but also on the analytics side. And I just thought that was a great opportunity. So I left Microsoft and ended up at StatDNA. I'll follow up on that in a minute, but I got to ask, where did the soccer love come from? I mean, it wasn't uncommon 10 or 15 years ago, but it also obviously wasn't as popular in the U.S. as it is now. Where did that soccer desire come from? Yeah, I mean, it's just something, you know, I'm from the generation where like every single kid in the suburbs gets signed up to play soccer, whether they want to or not. And yep, I just love, yeah, I just loved it. But um, there really wasn't any like outlet. Like it was so hard to watch soccer on TV back then. And you couldn't really say like, oh, this is a player I want to play like because you just couldn't see it. Um, but I just loved it. And then, um, you know, when I went to university in New York City, Premier League was finally available in the bar. So you could go to a bar at like 10 a.m. on a Saturday morning and go and watch Arsenal. And like, it was just the best thing in the world for me. So that, that kind of accelerated it a little bit. Um, and then I lived in Chile for a couple of years uh, prior to, to working at Microsoft. And, you know, from there, it's just a whole other other level and it's like all right i gotta be a part of this so in 2011 i think is when your name first popped on my radar you had a presentation at nessus which is new england symposium on stats and sports and it was entitled a framework for tactical analysis and individual offensive production assessment in soccer using markov chains uh, which is a mouthful uh, what does that i guess what does that mean what was that project and that put you kind of on the map so to speak yeah, I mean, so you can tell that like doing my MBA, I never really got the marketing side of things. Terrible like, <laughs> name for what it was, but it, you know, it was I guess an early pass value model. So it was, uh, you know, more than just passing, but it was an early on ball value model. Um, trying to figure out, you know, if a player has the ball, do they do something productive with it, or do they do something detrimental to their team's ability to score a goal? within uh, the rest of that possession. So, you know, there's since then, there's been a whole bunch of other models similar to that. So some people will call it expected threat. Some people call it on-ball value, but it's it's very similar to those models. Yeah, so how, what were the seeds of the idea, or, or maybe better, how did you go about attacking that uh, that long ago when soccer data was less robust than it is now? Yeah, I mean, so, so one thing I think people didn't realize at the time is that StatDNA was collecting a lot of really rich data so, you know, you could look at these events and there was a lot of nice context with them to kind of figure out, you know, this situation is actually very distinct from that situation. It's not just they happen in the same part of the pitch, but, you know, a lot of the defensive factors are going to be distinct between those two. So, you know, I wanted to do something that took advantage of that. And just, you know, at that time, uh, Blackpool was in the Premier League and that had actually been my great grandfather's club. So my dad is English, but he doesn't like football or he doesn't like soccer, um, but his grandfather did. So he was kind of like the last person in my direct lineage that, that liked football. So I said, okay, I'm gonna pay attention to Blackpool this year. And they had a player called Charlie Adam and he's a 
you know, midfielder. I think he ended up at Liverpool for a while and Stoke, but he just loved to take these outrageously stupid <laughs> shots from yeah. like 40 yards from goal. Yep. And, you know, I'm looking at this and I'm just saying like, surely there's got to be a way to measure like, was this the right thing to do or not? And so that kind of put the seed in my head in terms of like evaluating situations and, you know, <clears throat> is playing the ball forward here the right uh, right thing to do? Is playing the ball backwards the right thing to do? Um, and so kind of thinking about it, I actually stumbled across a paper from the NFL by Keith Goldner um, where he had used Markov chains to kind of evaluate um, the probability of scoring based on, you know, down uh, yardage and, and where you are on the field. And I thought, okay, like maybe I can do something similar in soccer. And so that's kind of how it all came together. And so when you look at, you mentioned the similar models, expected threat, on-ball value, et cetera, that's out there now from different companies. How do you, how are we doing at evaluating is we like the Royal we, uh, in the soccer analytics community, how are we doing at evaluating things like that? You know, a decade plus later. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, <clears throat> without some of this defensive context, it's, it's really difficult. Um, but now with, Tracking data becoming pretty prevalent, particularly the um, stuff coming off of the broadcast video. Um, you know, that has all the context that you could really ask for or just, you know, a lot of it. So I think a lot of this, the models coming out now that are based off of tracking data are, you know, amazing. They're really good stuff out there. Yeah, just since you mentioned kind of the tracking off TV, computer vision, things like that, and I use computer vision to generally sum up anything that's pulling information off of a, a screen rather than, you know, in stadium stuff. How, what, what's your take on where computer vision is at, where, where it can be going, how it can be used moving forward? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's pretty remarkable <clears throat> where it is. So like when I first started getting into soccer analytics, um, <clears throat> my friend Christopher Dove, who's actually kind of replaced me at Arsenal, he and I talked about using machine vision to get data off of broadcast video because we didn't have the money to pay for an Opta subscription and um, weren't sure they would work with us. And at the time, I mean, it was just completely not feasible. Uh, this is before the age of deep learning. This is before the age of, you know, really cheap AWS instances. And, you know, we, we thought about it and people were definitely trying to work on that, that type of problem, but it just wasn't feasible. So, you know, fast forward 15 years later, um, and people are doing an amazing job with it where, yeah, you can actually get real information off of a, a video stream, which is, you know, unbelievable. And it's changing the way that recruitment is happening because now you can have this really rich information, not just for within your own league, but for whatever league you're interested in. And you can start to do things like understand what are the physical demands in this, this league versus that league. And it's really amazing. Um, but, you know, still once, once you have access to that data, you realize, okay, well, we're, we're still just dealing with moving dots. Uh, I think one of the guys from Second Spectrum always calls it, you know, the science of moving dots. So we're still in, in the science of moving dots. But, you know, next thing that's going to be coming is is looking at, you know, pose estimation and things like that. Like, for sure, when you, you start talking about stats, particularly around defenders, it's like, well, how are their hips oriented? You know, how do they uh, approach the ball and things like that? And you can't really do that with where broadcast tracking is now, but you know, I think we're not too far away from that. So to, okay, so take a step back now. So around 2012, you joined StatDNA, as you mentioned, soccer data company. And then shortly thereafter, that 
company was purchased by Arsenal, as I understand it, basically be the in-house analytics group, we'll just call it. So without, you know, unearthing state secrets or something, what did you generally do uh, and your team generally do for stat DNA and Arsenal? Yeah, I mean, you know, when we were first brought in, it was very heavily based on recruitment and sort of doing an independent uh, performance review of the squad, you know, where's the squad relative to where they need to be for Champions League, uh, winning a title and whatnot, and then kind of understanding, well, what positions, you know, would we like to strengthen to achieve those objectives? Um, And, you know, part of the reason why it was structured that way was because we had been working with them for a year or two as sort of an external consultant. Um, So there was only so much information they wanted us to have access to. Once we became an internal company, everyone was much more willing to to share information with us. So all of a sudden it's working on, you know, sports science, uh, some stuff with medical, post-match screening of players for injury prevention, um, you know, helping the performance analysis department with their pre-match and post-match reports. So understanding how is our opponent going to play and then understanding how did we perform against our objectives in that match. Um, And then lastly, we, we did a lot of work in the Academy. Um, So I think that's, you know, a little bit unique for an in-house analytics department to work so closely with the uh, Academy, but that was, you know, pretty rewarding work that that we did there. Does that, the Academy part, does that involve, and to what you can say, does that involve uh, like you're tracking their games, their practices, and trying to apply some of the same you know statistical measures that you look at for the first team to the academy level and see how everything transfers? Is that the kind of thing that those top clubs are doing? Yeah, exactly. And you know, Arsenal has the ability to have you know a performance analyst at each age level. So we're just you know helping support them plus the coaching staff um, with all of the sort of individual development plans for for players, and then understanding who needs to move up, who needs to stay, and then unfortunately who would get released. How did, so you're with Arsenal Stat DNA about a decade. How did the general acceptance of analytics and that culture change during your time with the club? Yeah. I mean, you don't realize it when you're in the thick of it, but it, it absolutely changed tremendously where, you know, we are coming in and, and people are a little bit skeptical and you have discussions about, well, what really is a shot? Because for some people, you know, a header is not a shot. And so how can you say, you know, that's a shot because it's clearly a header Um, and just arguing over definitions like that and just trying to understand where they're coming from and trying to get them to understand where we're coming from. And, you know, it's uh, it's quite a a difficult task to go in and, and do that. But then you know, Arsenal, because it's such a big club, there's not a lot of turnover in terms of backroom staff. You end up working with the same people for, you know, a decade. And so Ben Knapper, who was the performance analyst for Arsene Wenger when we first started working there, well, now he's running the loans department. He's been working with our data for 10 years. So, you know, obviously that's going to be a big part of how he's going to be managing our players on loan because that's just how he's used to operating. And so you see that across many, many levels of the club, you know, within the academy, you know, that that data and that information has been integral to how they're they're working for a number of years now. So people who kind of move up through the ranks, like they're just used to using data and everything they do. So, it, you know, it's really changed. And then whatever staff that does come in, 
they tend to be younger now. They tend to be more open-minded and kind of used to data because, you know, expected goals is on TV. Everybody is familiar with it now. It's not such a controversial thing. So, you know, it really has changed quite a bit. How do you, any tips or how did you go about kind of bridging that traditional divide that we hear about between, you know, generally speaking, analytics and scouting? How do you kind of overcome that when you're working within a club? Yeah. I mean, I think one thing that we're trying to do now, because, you know, I've obviously left Arsenal. I have a, a new project with Blue Pro Sports Group. Um, we're trying to actually minimize how much we talk about data and try to focus more on talking about footballing concepts. So every metric that we're looking at has to be grounded in something that's very tangible and on the field and a, a concept that you could explain to a coach, you could explain to a sporting director, um, you could explain to a performance analyst. So, you know, doing it so that you're, you're speaking the same language, but hiding the numbers a little bit and talking almost exclusively in, in terms of football and not really about numbers. You know, that's, that's kind of the approach we're taking right now. So this would be, you don't say uh, he had 48% of his touches in the attacking third as much as you say he gets the ball into dangerous spots and in position across it or something like that. Is that something like that we're talking about? Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, video is, is so important. So like having video examples to kind of back up and say like, look, we think this is a weakness for him and show video clips or look, this is a strength for him and then show video clips and just making sure that, you know, also, like, I think it's very important, like whatever metric you're working with, like you have to have a hundred percent confidence that it's actually measuring what you think it is. So backing that up with, with video is the best way to do that. So there's always been kind of a, a public private divide in soccer analytics. A lot of the best uh, data is proprietary. A lot of the best work is going on at clubs like Arsenal that understandably aren't sharing their findings or data. So from your time kind of on the private side, what, what was that like when you, you know, you can see what's going on in the public space, but you maybe can't contribute as much or comment on it publicly. What was that like from the the private side where you're a little more, uh, I'm not closeted, but just cut off a little bit in some ways. Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit frustrating, I think, because the narrative for so long was that football is in the dark ages. It's so far behind baseball and basketball. And, you know, you're working inside a club and you're, you just want to scream like, that's not true. Um, <laughs> Look at what we're doing. Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, and I think with Liverpool having such kind of, you know, a great data science team and then so much on-field success, that narrative has changed. Um, and I think that's really good. In terms of actual like models and, and what the public sphere has been doing, like I think that's been great because for me, before I was on inside a club, I just got so much value out of playing with the data, experimenting with it, figuring out what works, what doesn't. So I love watching that process or I would love watching people go through that process as well. I, you know, even if it's something that's already been done before, I think there's a lot of value in doing that discovery yourself. So, you know, if people are trying to come up with uh, past value models, even though there's been one out there before, like, that's great because you're going to learn so much doing it. And, you know, there's always ways that you can push things forward. And, you know, in terms of recruiting somebody from the public sphere to bring them inside a club, you know, I, I definitely value people who have gone through that experience. Um, they don't need to have something that's that's novel or groundbreaking, but just having that comfort of like, you know, this is how you can use data. This is how you, you can't use data. I think that's really important. 
Yeah, no, that's a good point. The process of doing it is often as important as the output uh, to show what you can do and get that experience. As I'm curious about this, almost from a business standpoint, some clubs like Arsenal, you know, buy stat DNA and do everything in house. Some use more third party data providers and platforms and, and things like that. What are the advantages and disadvantages from a club standpoint of doing it all yourself and keeping everything super tight rather than uh, use some of those third parties? Yeah, you know, some of the big advantages um, of doing it yourself is that you have complete control over the definitions of everything. So, you know, a lot of times people don't talk about this, but what actually constitutes possession is like, I think, really fundamental to a lot of analysis in football. Um, and a lot of times with, with third party people, you kind of have to just go with what they give you. And that's it. Um, the difficulty is that there's a lot of, you know, common stuff that you have to do um, that it just doesn't scale. You know, everybody's kind of solving the same problems and um, it, it's it's a little difficult to kind of get ahead and get out in front of everybody else when you're just trying to get up to speed. So I think, you know, particularly now where clubs are maybe, you know, further along the development curve um, where you have, you know, the, the people who've been in it for a while, like Arsenal, like Liverpool, um, you know, they have years and years of research and knowledge that they're building on. If a club comes in and says, okay, well, I want to compete with them, how do they catch up? And I think that's the real difficulty. If you're doing everything in-house, you have to spend a lot of money and a lot of resources to catch up, whereas you could easily partner with, uh, you know, a third-party person, get their knowledge, their information, what they've already built, and kind of build on top of that. So. You know, there's there's definitely pros and cons to each model. So that sort of leads me to, excuse me, Blue Crow Sports Group, which we've talked about a few times and want to ask what, I guess we'll leave it to you. What is Blue Crow Sports Group? What are you doing with them? Yeah, um, so there's a lot of different uh, kind of aspects to Blue, Blue Crow Sports Group. So I'll focus on kind of the, the two main ones right now. Um, so there's kind of the <clears throat> umbrella of BCSG, that goes and buys soccer teams or let's say sporting organizations, um, adds them to the portfolio. And then we want to build kind of interesting pathways for, for player development. So currently we own Cancun FC, which is in Liga de Expansión in Mexico, second division. And we recently closed the deal on Leganes, which is uh, in the Segunda División of, of Spain. Um, so, you know, that's, that's one side of it is, building those clubs, working on player development, hopefully getting the clubs promoted. But then there's the analytics side to it. Um, you know, my, my husband is involved in the project. I'm involved in it. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to involve analytics. And so we have this separate company called Blue Crow Analytics where we provide information to the clubs and, and help kind of drive their strategy in terms of incorporating technology and analytics you know, into all sporting decisions, but then we're also working with uh, external customers as well, because, you know, if we're building all of this stuff, we can save people a, a lot of time and, and effort and they can kind of benefit from the, you know, two decades worth of experience that my husband and I now have. Yeah. So it sounds like, you know, as a, as a shortcut way of describing, it, you're trying to kind of Brentford, a couple of these teams, just meaning make the, the data, the, technology analytics integral into the process. So what's your, what do you anticipate 
kind of the, I don't know, day-to-day involvement being like for you, for Ravi, or, or was it more of a, a big picture sort of thing? Yeah. I mean, right now we're, we're just trying to get, get our feet under us a little bit. So it's hard to say what, what day-to-day is. I mean, right now it's kind of all hands on deck because we have uh, the summer window with Leganest that we need to make sure goes really well. And then we want to start uh, rolling out some of our plans for kind of, I wouldn't say modernizing the club, but just pushing technology into the sporting side a little bit more and starting to work in, in different ways. And for clubs, you know, like in a second division, you mentioned uh, Cancun second division in Mexico for clubs like that is the, what's the data, I mean, both quality and infrastructure like with those clubs as you step in? Yeah. I mean, so we're a little bit fortunate in that both leagues have kind of these league wide technology initiatives um, so in Spain, everything is run through media coach. So they have, you know, tracking data for all of the games. You can get physical reports for everybody. Um, they have a platform where you can just look at a whole bunch of stats. And then because Segunda is such a nice uh, recruitment catchment area for a lot of teams, you know, the major third party data providers are going to be covering those games as well, which is really nice. Um, so in, in Spain, it's really good. Mexico, they also have technology initiatives. However, you know, it's not done in the same way as some of the other ones. So, you know, the event data provider we have there works in a very different way than some of the major uh, third-party data collectors that we're, we're used to. So that's been a big transition to us. And then, you know, there's tracking data, but it's only at, you know, one frame per second. So it's not the level that we would like. Um, and then in terms of, you know, third party coverage, um, that's been a little bit lacking. It's starting to expand this year, but you know, there's not a lot of historical Liga de Expansión data that we can work with. So it's a little bit more of a struggle there, uh, I would say. And I have to ask, what does the blue crow part of blue crow sports group or blue crow analytics, what does the blue crow part mean? Uh, it's, it's quite a long story. And I think you're going to have to ask, uh, Jeff Luna for that explanation one day. He'll, he'll tell the story better than I can. All right. All right. We'll see if we can get him to give us the story. And, uh, finally for this part, I, I think I asked Ravi this when he was on the pod a couple years ago, how do you and Ravi watch a soccer game? Meaning if you're just, you know, in the stands, sitting down to watch a game on TV that you're not as professionally invested in, uh, what is that like for a couple of, you know, top soccer analytics types who are watching a game together? Yeah, I mean, I think there's still to this day like different ways that we watch it. So um, when we lived in Seattle, we loved going to the uh, Seattle Rain games. They're now OL Rain because it was a game we were just completely emotionally, you know, independent of and we could just enjoy. And, you know, for something like that, I'm just watching, you know, Kim Little do ridiculous, amazing things and, and just enjoying it purely as a fan. Um, but I think, you know, for other games where maybe it's like, oh, I'm going to watch this, uh, Copa Libertadores match, even though we're like a little bit independently, uh, or like emotionally detached from it, it's still like, well, maybe there's a good player. Like, let me see what's going on here. Or, oh, is this team doing anything, you know, tactically interesting? What are they doing on set pieces? So, um, I I think it, it kind of depends Uh, And I think, you know, one thing somebody warned me about as I was getting into this industry is they said, it's going to ruin your relationship with the game. Like, it's going to change it. 
Um, and I think that's definitely true because there's very few matches now where I can kind of just shut off and, and purely watch for fun. But I do try to seek those out. There's always wheels turning one way or the other, right? Exactly. Yeah. And like, you know, one thing I love about the women's game is like they do really creative things on set pieces. Um, so, you know, even just watching a women's game where it's like, we're not going to recruit anybody from that league. You're still watching it and looking for ideas. Yeah. Nice. All right. So we wrap things up with our playing favorite segment where we uh, get to know you a little bit. So what's your favorite number and why? Uh, so my favorite number is 10, um, just because, you know, traditionally in soccer, that's the creative playmaker. And even though I was definitely not that uh, player as a child, um, you know, that's definitely the position I love to watch. We, we all aspire to be a number 10, don't we? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, who, who is your favorite player as a kid from any sport? Uh so, you know, for, well, I'll go with two. So for any sport, um, I'd go with Ellis Burks, uh, the old Boston Red Sox player, because um, he was coming through just as I was getting interested in baseball, and I loved him, and um, I think he's fabulous. Um, but for football, you know, it was really hard to watch matches as a kid, but I'd go with um, Christo Stoichkov, because uh, he's left-footed, I'm left-footed, and I just loved his kind of, like, toughness and explosiveness, but also just, you know, his creativity and absolute hammer of a left foot. Yeah. Love it. A couple of great names there. Uh, you have a, a nerdy thing that you keep track of as, as we kind of data inclined people do. Yeah. So, uh, starting in the 2010 world cup, I started wearing a heart rate monitor when I would watch the games and then go back and look at it and, you know, be able to pick out key moments in the match. So, um, it actually popped up in like my Facebook reminder that the Landon Donovan goal against Algeria was just like a, massive spike for me. I think I got up to like 160. Huh. And so, yes, yeah, so your uh, EKG or whatever the right term is. So your spikes, they would line up pretty much exactly what someone would expect them to look like over the course of the ups and downs of a game. Yeah. Like you could go back and say like, oh, that was a chance that he should have put away. or like, <laughs> That's the goal. Or, you know, but, but that was an unfortunate back pass that like got my heart rate going. It's almost, it's almost its own kind of expected threat or whatever model right there. Uh, so you recently you're relocating from Seattle to Houston. You have a favorite thing that you're going to miss about Seattle? Yeah, I mean, just choosing one, I think is is really difficult. But um, probably probably just go with going to soccer games there. I mean, it's just an unbelievable city for experiencing soccer. Um, we were we were really lucky that we got to go back for the Champions League final, and it's just one of the the you know best games I've ever been to in my life. The atmosphere was electric and. You know, so many people that I've spent, you know, like a decade or more uh, watching games with. So, yeah, I, I, I really miss that. And um, it's it's hard to replace. Yeah, that's great. I've been to MLS playoff games, U.S. games up there. And it's yeah, it's just a little bit different with the, and the volume of people and everything. Uh, finally, you have a favorite. How did I get here moment? By that, I mean, you know, something where your career brought you to a spot and you're able to soak it in and be like, hey, this is this is really cool where I've gotten to get. Yeah, I mean, I, I think for me, it's probably the first time I went to London Colney, the training ground of Arsenal. I mean, I had been an Arsenal fan prior to them acquiring StatDNA. So, you know, on paper, it's like, oh, okay, now I'm an Arsenal employee. But until you, you get there and you kind of see like the white wall with Arsenal Football Club written there where like so many new signings take their pictures, you're just like, wow, like I am a part of this. Like, this is just, just amazing. And then, 
you know, at, at lunch, like Thierry Henry just walks in and, <laughs> his hands and you know, takes, sits down at the other table, just eating lunch. Yeah. Yeah. And you're just like, Oh my God, like, I can't believe this is, this is real. So yeah, I mean that, that for me, I think was a, a pinch me. I can't believe this is actually happening moment. That's great. Yeah, it's, it's fun where these careers can take us for sure. So Sarah Rudd, Vice President of Blue Crow Sports Group, thanks for joining us here on Expected Value. Yeah, thanks for having me. Back in the True Media Studios, I'm Paul Carr. Thanks again to Sarah Rudd for chatting with me here on the show. You can follow her on Twitter at srudd underscore OK. And check our show notes for a link to her 2011 presentation, a couple articles on her work with Arsenal, and Blue Crow's website. She says they'll have some job openings up there soon, if not already. Joined now by producer Sergio De La Espriella. Sergio, welcome back to the show. Thanks for your work as always. What did you take away from the talk with Sarah? What a story. Like just usually I try to peek behind the curtain while, while you're doing these interviews, I listen and I kind of try to jot down a couple things that I want to talk about in this little debrief that we have. But this time I was just enthralled by the story. You go from academic to presenting stuff to then working for a data company. Then that data company gets bought by one of the biggest soccer brands in the world. Um, and just the whole journey as to how now she's involved with a couple of second division clubs, uh, one in Mexico and one in one in Spain, like she mentioned, I thought that was, that was fantastic. And then I thought it was great to see, you know, traditionally when you think of sports analytics, you primarily think of a male dominated field. And not only is Sarah, um, obviously Sarah's a woman and and she's involved, but she's not just like involved in like a, a smaller level. She's at the top, top, top of the soccer analytics world. And it's great. It was great to see her, um, hear her story of, as to how she got to where she was. Um, I thought that was that was great and um, bold and brave of her to wear a heart rate monitor when she watches games because <laughs> as I told her when we wrapped up the interview off air, there's no way I could wear that during a U.S. World Cup game because the watch would probably call the ambulance for me <laughs> and they would call the ambulance for me by like the 60th minute. So I couldn't oh, even yeah. get a full 90 in before the ambulance shows up for me. <laughs> yeah, Sarah's great. As I've said, she's been at the top of the soccer analytics world about as long as there has been a soccer analytics world in the the modern sense. Really, one of the pioneers. I remember talking to her. It was, I think it was at Sloan in eleven or twelve, somewhere around then, and she had either a poster or a paper that was similar to her Nessus presentation. And at this point, you know, expected goals. I'm not even sure they were a thing, or I don't know if I'd heard of them at least. And she's you know writing about past value models and. I just remember that was so far kind of over my head at that point that I almost didn't understand. Like, obviously, I knew what she's getting at, but just really great work that is still very relevant. Obviously, models get better, uh, data gets better and such over the last decade, but it's still kind of the same idea uh, that we're trying to do. So, yeah, I, I just enjoyed hearing her take on a lot of different things that are routine topics kind of in the sports analytics space, you know, things about differences between public and private data, public and private kind of companies that are working for a club or not. So she's got a lot of good perspective. I really appreciated uh, kind of all of that. You know, what does she think of computer vision? How is that uh, changing things? All the different things. So I I really just appreciated picking her brain and tracing her story because her story is kind of the soccer analytics story over the last 10 to 15 years. So I really appreciate her taking time to talk to us. Yeah, it's kind of like her career has grown with 
how soccer analytics have grown, which just speaks to a testament as to why she's, you know, one of the top figures in the soccer analytics world. So kudos to her and a great example for everyone. Yep. All right. Thanks, Sergio. One final big thanks to Sarah for joining us on the show. We have lots of other soccer guests in the archives, including, as mentioned, her husband, Ravi Ramanini, then the Sounders then the Sounders Director of Analytics, U.S. Men's National Team Head Coach Greg Berhalter, current D.C. United GM Lucy Rushton, and many more. We appreciate, as always, if you could subscribe, rate, even review the show on Spotify or Apple or anywhere you get podcasts, and sharing in any way is also appreciated. Social media, word of mouth, etc. Follow us on Twitter at True Media Sports or email us with feedback or suggestions. Expected value at truemedianetworks.com. On behalf of producer Sergio De La Espria and everyone else at True Media, I'm Paul Carr. Thank you for listening to Expected Value, the podcast that goes inside the sports analytics world. Mm-hmm.